Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. This is episode 97, my guest appearance on the Buffalo Roamer Outdoors podcast on backcountry fishing, camping, high tanning, and much more. For those who seek adventure, this is the Buffalo Roamer Podcast, sharing the people, places, and moments that make a life on the loose worth living. The thing that's going to stick out to you most is when they open up that plane door. The cold is something like you've never felt. The jungle is so thick. Even if you had a machete, you couldn't get through it. There's a huge blonde grizzly bear. And when it saw us, this thing put its head down, stomped on the ground, and hissed like an alligator. I just crossed this real stretch of desert and I was really suffering. I'm your host, Will Collins. I'm an adventurer, outdoorsman, and roamer of wild places. I've backpacked the Brooks Range, rafted the Grand Canyon, and have canoed from source to sea both the Mississippi and Yukon rivers. I live for adventure, travel, fresh air, and diving into the unknown. And now, I hope to share my passion with you on the Buffalo Roamer Podcast. Katie, I'm, I'm happy to talk with you. Long time no spot, no see. We talked uh, yesterday for your podcast, which is uh, Fish Untamed. That was a fun conversation. So glad to uh, to flip the script here and be able to ask you some questions. So that, that was fun yesterday. Yeah, I'm glad to be on the other side of the mic too. I feel like going from host to guest is like I can just sit back and relax and see what comes instead of feeling like I need to control everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like we were saying on yours, uh, or I was saying on yours. Uh, I asked if you could go first because I was kind of in a rush beforehand. Usually if I'm, you know, like tonight when I'm interviewing you, I'll sketch out some notes, you know, a couple thoughts, kind of get in the frame of mind before talking to you. Nothing crazy, but a few minutes. And then, uh, but yeah, when I was asking if you could go first, I was like, you go first because then I just show up, turn on the microphone and shoot from the hip, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. But yeah. it's a different kind of stress as the guest. Cause I'm like, I don't know where we're going to go. You know, when you're the host, you kind of have a feeling for, you know, where you're going to take it. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. So yeah. I'm excited. Totally. Me too. Me too. Well, let's talk fishing. That's what, that's my, uh, that's what I'm thinking we're, we'll do is talk fishing. Uh, you run, <laughs> you, good to me. you run the podcast fish untamed. So tell me, I guess how you got into, we'll start with the podcast world, how you got into, uh, to doing fish untamed. Yeah, it's kind of a like a long roundabout story, but I've been fishing since I was a kid. Um, had a spin rod growing up and uh, did a lot of like bass and pike fishing. Um, and through a, a kind of a strange series of events, I ended up out here in Colorado. Um, I was born in Pennsylvania. So I ended up in Colorado um, my freshman year of college to guide fly fishing. And I had never fly fished before. So I came out to work in the fly shop um, and kind of like learn the ropes out here, kind of tag along on trips. 
and um, eventually worked my way up to being able to take trips out by myself and stuff like that. But um, once I graduated college, uh, I moved out here permanently and needed a job for the rest of the year because that was just a summer gig. So I went from fishing being a, a huge part of my life um, and what I was spending every day over the summer doing to you know, entering the quote unquote real world, uh, working a nine to five, not getting as much time out on the water. And so I wanted a way to kind of scratch my itch and like feel like I was still connected to fishing even when I couldn't get out as much. So I started Fish Untamed as a blog um, where I just like write write articles about um, all kinds of stuff, stories and tips and things that uh, I'd experienced. And eventually that just became a little bit tedious. I'm not, I'm not huge into writing. Like I kind of wanted to be, and then it didn't, it just, it wasn't exciting to me. I felt like it was a burden. Um, but meanwhile, you know, I'd go to work and I'd listen to podcasts for like eight hours a day while I worked. So I was deep into the podcast. I feel like I listened to all the podcasts out there um, about fishing. And I was like, you know what, this seems like something I could stick with a little bit more. And so for a while I did the blog and started the podcast. And eventually I was having so much fun doing the podcast and the blog. So I just kind of tossed that aside and uh, stuck with the podcast. And that's where we are today. Um, now I actually do have a chance to go fishing more, but I'm having fun meeting people and talking about fishing. So uh, that I intend to continue that for a while. That's great. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's cool. The people you meet and the connections that you meet from doing the podcast. You know, this is episode, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the 60s. This will be. And I see you have a bunch too. What are you on 80 or something? I think you were 93, okay. if I remember correctly. Perfect. There you go. So yeah, it, it's fun being able to make those connections. I'm sure you've uh, uh, you've made some connections, and I'm, I'm sure you, you've met people uh, in person that, that you only talk to from the podcast, I'd have to assume, right? Uh, yeah, I have. And actually, um, I've talked about that with a couple people. You know, people ask, you know, do you make money on the podcast? And I, I make enough to like break even basically, which is which is fine by me. But I've made connections that I view as, you know, more valuable than you know, putting 20 bucks in my pocket, uh, which is, you know, for a niche podcast, it's not, it's not going to, you're not going to make it big. You're not going to be the next, like this American life, you know, talking about a niche subject within a niche subject. Um, but yeah, I've uh, actually last January, I ended up going to Minnesota to go dark house sphering for the first time um, with Mark Norquist, who I met through the podcast. So um, yeah, I've like traveled across the country to, to meet up with people that I've talked to um, just started from an email and, saying, hey, you don't know me, but, you know, I'd like to talk to you. Um, and, you know, I'm sure more of those are going to happen in the future, too. Um, but it, it is really nice to make those connections and people you can reach out to and say, hey, and, you know, it, you feel like you're friends, even if you haven't met. Totally. Absolutely. And, and they get to know you uh, because they've listened to you so much, you know, uh, uh, like, I'm sure they know you probably more than you know them, but the dark horse uh, or dark house spearing sounds awesome. What what was uh, what was that trip? Give me a little uh, rundown of of that. That sounds wild. Sure. So um, I, I don't know how how familiar you are with it at, at all, but um, I'll just kind of start from square one. If anyone is completely unfamiliar, and I'm by no means an expert, so you know, don't come to me for for expert advice on it. But um, Basically, it's it's kind of um, a niche culture, it seems, up in kind of the north, uh, like north Midwest, uh, Wisconsin, I think Michigan and Minnesota. I went to Minnesota. Um, and basically, you cut a big hole in the ice. So think ice fishing, but instead of like a, a small round hole, it's kind of like a two foot by three foot chunk of ice that you saw out. And then you put a shelter over top of that. And the shelter is um, dark, like it doesn't let light in. So when you put that shelter over the hole uh, and sit inside, the the sun goes down through the ice around you and lights up the water underneath. So you're looking down into this two foot by three foot hole and it's lit up like a television screen. So you can see down, see the bottom, see all the weeds and rocks and things. And then you'll see fish swim past and you dangle a little fish decoy, like a wooden fish decoy down the hole and you kind of twitch it. It's on a little stick with a string and you twitch it and it it draws fish in like um, pike will come in in like a predatory way. And then the other species come in out of curiosity and you've got what looks like a, like a trident, um, like a, a pitchfork, a spear, and you throw it down at the fish as they swim below you and you pull them up on the spear. And so it's, it's kind of like a ice fishing, spear fishing combination. Uh, and I'm so upset that this doesn't exist in, in my area. Like, I, I don't think it's legal to have a hole that big in the ice in Colorado. Cause I looked into it when I got back and, um, you're not allowed to, but I really wish that this, 
this uh, culture would spread because it was like one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen, I, I don't know much about it, but I've seen a little bit uh, just on social media and stuff. Uh, and yeah, it looks awesome. looks wild. Uh, I have to imagine that's a, that's a different uh, type of fishing uh, than you normally do, huh? A little, uh, little out is. of the ordinary. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I'm not, we talked about this yesterday on my show. Um, like my show's very much fly fishing focused and I'm very much fly fishing focused just because being in Colorado with a lot of small trout streams, it just lends itself to fly fishing. Um, that is, that is the proper technique to do a lot of what I'm doing out here. Um, I, I feel like I'd be making, I, I would be stretching it if I tried to use other techniques. Um, and so I tend to do a lot of fly fishing, but I'm by no means a purist. Like I said, I grew up with a spin rod and when we go home, um, I still pick up a spin rod fairly often for like bass and stuff. Um, so I, I just like fish and fishing. I'm just fascinated by um, both those things and by the different subcultures around the country. I love seeing how, you know, different little communities have like the ways they found to get fish out of the water. There's such a variety of ways that people do it that um, I'm just always interested in seeing how these how these different techniques have popped up and things that you wouldn't even know exist. Like I had no idea this was a thing until I started talking to Mark and he invited me up to do it. Uh, and it's such a big part of the culture there. Everybody's talking about. Everybody's excited for the for the opening of the season. People carve the little decoys. It's like a whole art form, um, and I just love kind of immersing myself in those little uh, subcultures that you'd never know about, but are like very rich and uh, I don't know have a lot of history behind them. Totally, yeah, it's so cool. I I completely agree. And I've uh, as I've grown as an angler, I have. Uh, you know, grown in the different modes and methods too. And, you know, when I first started fly fishing, I was, uh, and got deep into the fly fishing, I was probably a little stubby nose about, uh, you know, dry flies or, or even, you know, just fly fishing specifically, like, like, you know, poo-pooing, uh, spin anglers. And then I moved to South Dakota after being, uh, in Colorado, uh, for five years, moved to South Dakota where, yeah, they don't, they don't have a fly rod within, you know, <laughs> 300 miles. Uh, and uh, walleye fishing and pike fishing and just absolutely loved it. And then th there's just so many ways to fish. And uh, like you said, too, all of the culture and nuances about those uh, those different, uh, I don't know, avenues of fishing, different, different ways of fishing are so awesome and so in-depth, too. Uh, kind of on the same note, I was on a fishing trip uh, in Brazil about a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago in November. And uh, I was sitting around and it was a fly fishing trip. We were fly fishing for uh, peacock bass was the main target, but uh, we were catching wolffish, um, catfish, uh, piranha, all kinds of stuff. And uh, it was myself and I think the, the, uh, there was seven other guys in camp and they were all like uh, 65 plus. Uh, the head, the, the main guy, I want to say he was, I want to say he was 82, but I could be mistaken. Um, but, but regardless, uh, great crew of guys, but they were all lifelong fly fishermen. And there was another guy, our party was like six uh, it was me and these older gentlemen, and then there was two other individuals who were just traveling on their own, kind of like I was. And they were spin fishing. All six of us were just fly fishing. And I sat down at the table, and we were, like, talking, and I was found out that one of the guys was a big bass fisherman. So we were talking about different bass strategies and, you know, talking about the Texas rig, the Alabama, first Alabama rig versus the, uh, you know, the wacky rig or the Ned rig or drop shotting or, like, all these little niche uh, uh, topics within spin fishing. And the fly anglers were like, what in the world are you guys talking about? They're like, you guys are talking like a whole different language. Like I had no idea that spin fishing could be that in depth. And I was like, yeah, of course. And then meanwhile, talking to the fly guy, the spin guys have no idea. Cause I'm like, yeah, like throw a woolly bugger or, uh, you know, uh, articulated streamer or, uh, you know, whatever it is. So it's cool to be able to, to go between the interdisciplines, I think. Yeah, it's something I'm, I, I'm still like mostly a fly fisherman, um, but I have actually in the past year or so bought uh, both a bait casting rod and a spin a spin rod just because there's like there's some species out here that I'd like to fish for more that just don't lend themselves to fly fishing. I mean, it'd be really cool, but you know, if you want to go cat fishing, which I am, have a bit of a goal this year to do some cat fishing and and catch one because I've never caught a catfish. Nice. Um, and so I'm kind of thinking of this as more of a learning opportunity. Like, hey, let's dive into this other 
uh, kind of niche area within fishing. Like you said, all the different rigs and stuff. Um, I went out with a, a buddy and he, we didn't get anything, but he showed me the ropes, you know, we set up a couple different rods, a couple different ways. And I just like really enjoyed soaking in that information because obviously even within whatever discipline you usually do, like for me, fly fishing, um, I'm still learning stuff all the time, but for the most part, I would consider myself, um, you know, good enough at it that there's most things that I'm learning are more, uh, little tweaks apart from like the, the big, um, categories. Like I, I don't like Euro nymph, but within the, um, like standard fly fishing that I do, most of the things I'm learning are, are small things. I'm not still figuring out like how to cast and stuff like that. Um, and so it, it's fun to go to something else where you're a complete beginner. Cause you know, I haven't experienced that in a long time with fly fishing. Um, and I just, I like that, that place where you are like everything's new to you, everything's exciting, everything's interesting, and you you re don't realize like how deep some of these things go. Um, I just I think I just like being uh, like a student, and you have to kind of branch out if you want to be in that new that new beginner learning uh, stage again. Absolutely, I 100% agree, and I'm I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy that that aspect of fishing, and and it's fun to be able to you know sometimes you can pick up little things from spin fishing that you can bring back to uh, to fly fishing or the other way around. You know, like um, I know the, the jig headed flies are really in popular now. Like uh, those are basically come came from uh, spin fishing. You know, mm -hmm. so how well, and there's a lot of trans like crossover too between you know fly fishing is different because you're using different techniques and stuff but at the end of the day the most important part to catching fish is understanding fish behavior and you know reading water and stuff like that and that is universal i mean if, if you know those things you're already ahead of the game you know for somebody who's a complete beginner who's never looked at water touched a fish touched a rod of any kind um you know the hard part is knowing what it is you're trying to do like you know what are the fish eating how can i imitate that properly and like those things you know, once you know those things, it's not that hard to pick up a different kind of rod and, you know, try to imitate whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, and I think people forget that there's a lot of crossover like that. And uh, I don't know, a lot of value from learning different different techniques. Yeah, absolutely. The old saying, right, like 10% uh, of the or 90% of the fish are in 10% of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get, uh, do you have like a story that you recall as a kid, uh, or, or whenever it was like that when you realized like, oh man, like I'm hooked on fishing. Like this is like, this is awesome. I don't have a, like a single instance. Um, so I have two half sisters, but they're much older than I am. So I, they were already moved out by the time I came along. So I grew up as an only child and, uh, we had a cottage, on uh, a river in, in Western Pennsylvania. And so I would just kind of be dropped off and told to go entertain myself. And that's, that's where fishing came along. Cause it was something I could do by myself. Um, what I don't know is how I stuck with it because I remember back in the day, like I would go out fishing and I would fish for like a week or two between fish, you know, I'd catch like one fish and it was a highlight of my month. Totally. And I'd come back and like tell everyone about it. And then I'd go out and I'd do it again for the next month and not catch anything. And I don't know how I was like still interested in that as a kid. Cause you, I feel like with kids, you know, you got to kind of keep it action packed or they lose interest. Um, but yeah, but something about it just kind of drew me in and I would just stand out there with a the rod casting over and over and over again to the same spot, hoping for a different result. Um, so no, I don't like have a, a single moment. It just kind of happened and grew from there. And, um, yeah, it's morphed over the years, but for the most part, the passion's been there since I was, I don't know, five or six and hasn't really gone anywhere. It's funny looking back on those times too. Like when you were set talking that talking about that obviously i still get skunked way more than i uh, like <laughs> yeah. but but uh you know like those early days learning fly fishing for me is when i was in uh when i was in college uh like a freshman year in college you know just trying to figure it all out like i remember the first time my buddy showed me a uh just like a double nymph rig or like a dropper hopper rig or something like that. I was like, Whoa, like that's a whole new level, uh, uh, t to this, you know, uh, and just learning those little intricacies along the way. And yeah, like you said, like having no success, but, uh, just enjoying being out there. And then you do have that little, you know, that tiny little fish that you hook and you're just like, so pumped. It's, uh, it's fun going through that, that learning process. Yeah, I remember like I so I, I would stand out on like a big rock and cast for a smallmouth bass and I would I'd want to but my, my dad would be on shore because he wasn't a big fisherman. He would he would take me out occasionally, but for the most part he was just like go have fun. Um but I was so excited about all the fish that I would bring them all back to him. Um 
not probably not great fish handling because I would like walk <laughs> them across this pretty big river just to bring them back and show them um they were bass so hopefully they're okay <laughs> it wasn't like a <laughs> fragile trout but um yeah i would i would be so excited that i'd have to bring every single fish back to show them and i don't know some of those fish probably spent a long time out of the water getting carried back but i mean that's like the highlight of your life at that moment is you know what you've been working toward and it's it was so rare that it was just like everyone has to see this it's so funny too isn't it how uh yeah, some folks, it's just in their blood. It's in my blood. I know it for sure. Like, I, if I see water, I'm like, okay, where are the fish at? Like, you know, if I'm crossing right. a bridge uh, on a bike ride or something, I always stop and look down in the water. Like, fishing just runs in my blood, and it sounds like you as well. I mean, especially for not having, uh, like, a, a parental figure or, like, a, a sibling who you'd, like, go out with. It was just, like, innately kind of you wanted to do it. Yeah, I've heard that from uh, quite a few people. I, the two stories I hear a lot are, um, you know, either I discovered this later in life and it, you know, it felt like I should have been doing it my whole life. You know, it calms me and takes my mind off things and, you know, I just couldn't get enough of it. And then the other story is, I don't know, it's just kind of always been there and I like can't picture my life without it. But, you know, I don't know where it came from. It was just there. And that, that was me for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So how did you go? Uh, what what was the, the leap of faith for from going to the, the guide shop, uh, and like, uh, uh, you know, trying to soak in all you could in the fly fishing world. So you were in Pennsylvania and you were in, in college in Pennsylvania and you spent your summers out West or how did that go? Yeah. So, uh, my freshman year of college, um, so the, the guide shop I worked for was a seasonal thing. Um, it, and it was not like a traditional fly shop. It's, uh, it's more catered toward like family family trip. So it's not, you're not paying like $500 for a drift boat and, you know, exclusive access or anything like that. It was, Hey, you know, me and the family want to come out and learn how to fly fish. Can we book a, like an affordable trip with you? Um, so it was, it was kind of more geared toward introducing people to it. Um, we obviously took out, you know, experienced folks as well, but, um, it was much more family friendly than a, a typical fly shop would be. And it was only, it's only open from like May to September. Okay, cool. Um, and so a lot of the folks that work there are teachers because they'll, you know, do this summer job and then go back to teach during the rest of the year. And my sister already lived out here and she, she was a teacher and she worked with one of the guys who guided for them. And he was like, Hey, we're looking for help for the summer. Like, do you know anyone who likes to fish? And she's like, well, my sister likes to fish, but she doesn't fly fish. And he's like, well, you know, give her my number and like we can maybe make something work so i just got a call one day being like hey do you want to come work in rocky mountain national park <laughs> guiding fly fishing and i was like this seems suspicious <laughs> you <laughs> too know, good like, to be true but okay <laughs> so uh yeah i came out here and um showed up and i would tag along on trips and kind of just like soak in what i could learn like kind of learning to fish with with the guests coming out you know i was just there to watch you know i would help tie knots and stuff like that but technique wise, I was like learning along with everybody else, but I was kind of there as a pack mule and stuff like that. And then I'd work the shop and, you know, help people book trips and things like that. And then I worked there for um, maybe three or four years. And so by the end of it, I was uh, going on trips, you know, as a normal guide um, and, and also working the shop. I liked working the shop. Uh, I know some people use working at a fly shop to like become a full-time guide. And I really liked the balance. Cause I, I would get kind of burnt out by the end of the summer going to the same spots over and over again. Um, so I liked being able to mix it up between the shop and, and taking folks out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically how I got there. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Rocky mountain national park. How about that place? Huh? Uh, it was such an amazing, like first dip into Colorado. <laughs> What? Well, yeah. T tell me. T talk to me about Rocky Mountain National Park. I've been. I've done a few trips in there. I've caught in um, greenback. Greenback. Uh, what is it? Greenback cutthroat. Is that the name of the species? Yep. Uh, that's like unique yeah. to that area, right? So the the greenback cutthroat story is kind of a convoluted one. I don't know how deep you want to go into it, <laughs> and I don't know all the details. But the the thirty thousand foot view is that they thought they had. So they were thought to be extinct a long time ago. And then they found a population and stocked them all over the place, all over Rocky Mountain National Park. And the brochures you'd get in the park were, they, they loved to promote this. Right. Uh, you know, state fish, endangered, thought to yeah. be extinct. Yeah. And then it came out maybe 10 to 15 years ago, I'm not sure on the date, that actually all of those fish were not what they thought they were. Really? And that they were, yeah, I, I don't know if they had maybe a little bit of greenback DNA in them, but they were not like the pure um, greenbacks that they thought they were. And I don't know what strain it mostly was, maybe Colorado River cutthroat, 
I'm not positive on that. Sure. Um, and so then I think there was another kind of panic of like, oh no, this, you know, this wasn't them, you know, are they still around? And they did find um, a pure strain uh, in one of the creeks. So now they're doing kind of like a secondary stocking hmm. where they have now another list of locations that do have pure greenbacks that have been like genetically tested and confirmed to be the pure strain. Um, but it's not all those ones that are across Rocky Mountain National Park. There's like, I don't know, maybe six or seven locations that they put them in. Okay. I could be wrong on that too. Huh. Um, and I'm not sure if Rocky Mountain's still like really advertising their like, come here and catch the greenbacks. Sure. Like, I don't really care if they do. I mean, it, people get excited about it and they're, I mean, you couldn't tell the difference visually. They look the same. Sure. Um, but I do wonder how many people I told, because back when I was guiding that, we thought they were greenbacks too. And so I don't know how many people I told like, oh yeah, you caught this unique fish that only exists here and it's our state fish and blah, blah, blah. But uh Break, breaking, I think that that's not the case. <laughs> breaking my, uh, you know, b- busting my bubble. I'm gonna have to take it off my species list now. <laughs> well, you have to just come, and I can, uh, I can help you get some. They're not, they're not terribly hard to find. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, uh, so but uh, a, a, it's wild how, uh, like these streams that we're talking about in Rocky Mountain National Park, which if you've never been, is just like the most pristine, uh, amazing, spectacular, uh, like jagged, uh, uh, peaks, um, really awesome park elk everywhere. Um, but these, like the water is so small. It's like these creeks are pretty tiny. The fish are not very big, pretty tiny, but it's just wild that they have this, uh, specific, or at least they thought they did, um, specific strain of fish that is found nowhere else other than in these tiny little, uh, little creeks and stream beds. Um, have you done much, uh, much backpacking and, and, uh, and kind of backcountry fishing through, through Rocky Mountain National Park? I know that's, uh, that's a kind of a passion of yours is, is the backcountry, uh, fly fishing. Yeah. I used to do a lot more when I lived up in Estes. Um, that was kind of like the only place I went, but, um, now living a couple hours South of there, I don't actually get up to Rocky very often. Also the crowds have just gotten crazy. I, it's, I think it's one of the most visited parks in the country. So there's like you know, big lines, reservation systems, stuff like that. So I've kind of moved away from the park itself. It's, it is an incredible place. Like I, I have no regrets spending as much time there as I did when I was up there. Um, but now I've kind of moved into some of the more, uh, I don't want to say remote because there's a lot of remote, remote places in the park, but less visited um, areas, less high, tra- like lower traffic, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I do a, a ton of backpacking, um, just hiking, camping. Um, and I usually try to incorporate fishing into that in some Love it. What is it that draws you uh, to the backcountry uh, fishing as opposed to, uh, you know, just uh, going out for an afternoon or whatever? Uh, I guess mostly I just like being away from people and I like beautiful scenery. Like I, I love fishing, but I don't care that much about like size or anything like that. I mean, I, I like catching big fish as much as the next person, but I'm definitely not like a size driven person. I'm not like on a lifelong goal to catch a certain size of trout. Um, I like spending time with my friends. I like being in beautiful environments and I like not seeing people all day. And so that lends itself to like gathering a couple of people up, hiking, you know, five to 10 miles in setting up camp and then just like hanging out by a lake or a stream for a couple of days. Um, there's just something so peaceful about it. Um, but also adventurous. Like I, I like working hard to get somewhere, but then also having this like calmness come over you, uh, especially we've, we've talked about this on uh, my show before, but, um, when you're, in the backcountry for two, three plus days. Like once you've been out there for a couple of days and you know, you haven't had cell phone service, you haven't dealt with emails coming in and stuff, something like changes where you just kind of start to flow with the day. You wake up when the sun comes up, you go to bed when the sun goes down. Um, your only, you know, chores or priorities out there are just like whatever you need to do at that moment. Like, hey, I need water. Hey, I need to get under my shelter because weather's coming. Like there's not a list of things you need to be doing. You're just kind of existing out there and kind of becoming part of the daily cycle. And I love being out there long enough to hit that point because it's just such a nice reset. Um, and I actually think, I don't know who did it, but there was somebody who was looking into this in a, from like a scientific perspective of what changes when you're immersed in nature for, uh, I think they, I think it was three days was the point where something starts to maybe shift in your like your brain. Um, and I, I think there was even some recommendations about how many times you should do this throughout the year to reap actual benefits from it. Like, you know, go, go to your local park at least twice a week, you know, be outside overnight at least a couple times a year and do like an extended, at least, 
you know, three to four day trip completely disconnected once a year. And I think they showed that there were actually significant health benefits from doing these things just by getting your giving your brain like a reset from the day to day, just like noise that we all deal with. I totally believe it. A hundred percent. Anecdotally, I, I uh, have felt it. Uh, I don't know, hundreds, probably close to hundreds of times, uh, definitely uh, hundreds of days over the collection of trips. And, and yeah, in with the, the folks that I've taken out on uh, as a guide, guided trips with friends that I've taken out. It's, it's wild how that works, isn't it? It's like the first day you're out there, uh, you're still worrying about work and like what was going on and the back of your head and, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, as soon as that, I, I think it is that third day, as soon as that third day rolls around, um, everything just kind of melts. And like, exactly like you said, you're just like in the motion of, uh, of the woods, like, waking up when the sun comes up, eating when you're hungry, sleeping when you're tired. Uh, uh, like, and I love when you finally get into the groove of that, uh, of that routine, you know, it's like where it just feels normal to, uh, be like, all right, where should we stop for lunch? Like, Oh, there's a flat rock there. That'd make a good, uh, little, uh, you know, perch spot or whatever. It might be a good spot to throw the backpack off or like uh there's a sandbar over there for the canoes like let's hop out and 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 it's just like second nature and when you unload the boats uh, for me or like unloading the backpacks whatever it is like unloading the boats at the end of the day everybody knows you know what they're supposed to grab like the tent goes up first blah 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 then we get firewood it's just that yeah that, that uh that flow and and once you hit that routine oh it's the best isn't it and everything's so simple. Like, you know exactly what needs to get done. Um, I mean, not that a lot of chores you do at home aren't simple, but yeah, there's always kind of that nagging thing in the back of your mind. Like, what do I need to do? Who do I need to message? Like, what email do I need to respond to? And out there, it's very much like you just look around and you can see what needs to be done. It's like you said, we got to pitch this tent. We got to get firewood. I got to eat some food because I'm hungry. And it's all very much like bodily cues and, you know, things right in front of you that just need to get done. Um, and it's just a very like simple, like, I, I think this is why people are probably drawn to moving out into the middle of nowhere and getting a cabin and just living out there. Cause it's like the, the rest of the world kind of ceases to exist and it's just what is right in front of you and what you need to do. And it's very clear. Yeah. It's amazing. Isn't it? And the other funny, uh, the other funny part about that is that, as soon as you are back into the front country, back into the world, it's just like you get that first text message, text oh, message, yeah. that first email, ding, 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 ding. And then it's just like right away, you're like back into it like it never happened. Like every time I'm out on a trip, uh, especially a longer trip, it's like at this point, I've, I've done it enough that I realize, you know, I'm not going to feel like this forever, but still it's like, it's so hard to fathom that this feeling that I'm not going to feel like this, like in two days, you know, it's like, it's just, uh, it's so strange. As soon as you're back in, it's just boom. Well, and I swear, I always get some sort of like bombshell email while I'm gone. Like I never come back and get, you know, a couple of spam emails and some newsletters and things. It's always like, hey, we need this thing done earlier than expected or something. You know, it's just it's something that is so jarring. Like I always get one of those while I'm gone. Um, And yeah, like really kind of, yeah, I said, it's just jarring when you get back and you're just suddenly thrust back into it. And you really have to shift your mindset back into like being a productive member of society. Uh, And Oh, there's something that was just on the, the tip of my tongue. Um, oh, yeah. I go in. I often go into like a bit of a depression when I get back for a couple of days. Like I, I want to feel like I'm still reaping the benefits of going out because in some ways I'm still on a bit of a high, like thinking back on, you know, all the fun we had or whatever. But there's also a depression. Like, why can't I just do that forever? Um, and here I am stuck, you know, back in my office or whatever. Uh, that For a couple of days, I usually feel a little bit depressed. And I find myself like on Google, like reading about you know, the area we were in or reading about fish or just like something to try to keep myself in that mindset of, of like something related to what I was doing before, just to, to keep my brain slightly uh, still engaged with that. I know exactly what you mean. Usually I'm, uh, I'm trying to plan the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking at maps or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any uh, any trips, fishing trips, or just travel trips or backcountry trips that that uh, that come to your mind as being like, uh, uh, you know, one of the trips that was I don't know if monumental is too big of a word for you, but uh, one that kind of sticks with you? Uh, yeah, um, 
when I've talked about a decent bit, and I can't share too much because uh, just by the nature of um, what the trip was, but uh, my friend Allie and I, a couple of years ago, um, went up and fished for one of the only uh, populations of golden trout in Colorado. And I think there's there's more now. They're kind of putting them in different places. So they're not, they're not like impossible to find anymore. But um, for a while, they were pretty rare. And we ended up uh, scouring maps and reading blogs and looking at pictures and stuff and found uh, where one of these kind of remote populations was. And we kind of just dove in, like we didn't really know what we were getting into. And it ended up being like a, a really, really grueling hike. Uh, I think it was maybe 11 or 12, 12 miles in. Um, and it was mostly off trail through like deadfall and stuff. So it's just, you know, every step you take is just painful, but you know, you've, you have to keep moving because, you know, you're in the middle of deadfall, you're not near water or anything. You've just got to get to your destination. Um, and we didn't even know if we were going to the right spot because this wasn't like a, a place that was listed you know on cpw's website this was like a we hope that this is the place yeah, we, people have been talking about we've heard through the grapevine yeah yeah and so we're like you know hopefully this is the right spot hopefully they're still there because it's you know not a not a big area it's not like a massive lake full of them um and you know who knows what we're going to find when we get there so we got there and we ended up finding them um which was it was just like I remember the moment that we realized we had found them and we were going to catch some, uh, which is such a, I can't even describe it. Just like, it's such a wonderful, like warm feeling of like, I'm up here. I'm like with one of my best friends. Um, we did it. It was like a, a physical accomplishment because we were just like dead tired. Um, we got to camp up there for a couple of days and didn't see anybody. Um, it was just kind of like the pinnacle of like what I want in a trip. Um, Cause I like trips to kind of suck. You know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy like a nice, you gotta earn relaxation it. Relaxation day and yeah, I like I like sitting in a hammock and enjoying the sunshine. But if it doesn't like hail on you or you don't fall and almost break a leg, like I don't know, I, I need a little bit of that in a trip to really really uh, feel like it was worth it. So that's I got a lot of that out of that trip. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I, I know exactly what you mean too on multiple fronts. Um, a couple of things came to mind when you were telling telling the story. One, uh, I've done I've done uh, two golden trout, both in Wyoming though, not in Colorado. Um, one just over the border and then just north and then one in the uh, Wind River Range. Um, but then uh, also in the Wind River Range, uh, we did, we were hiking one time on a backpacking trip in the winds in Wyoming and uh, there was four of us and we just picked like uh, a lot of the stuff in the winds is, uh, is off trail. Um, there's like trails to get into the main areas, but once you get into like the main basins, it's just kind of free roaming. There's not many trails. And so we just like picked a spot on the map and we're like, this lake looks awesome. We've heard, uh, uh, you know, vague things about it. Not many people have talked about it. Probably good sign for us. Um, so we're like, let's give it a shot. And just like looking at the topo on the map, it's like, okay, it looks doable. So we go in and like maybe a third of the way in on the first day, uh, it starts dumping and then we get into this forest and like you were saying, just deadfall everywhere and just like the thickest deadfall. And we have these like overtly heavy packs on like packing like idiots. I think we were like maybe, maybe 20, you know, 22 or something, 21 at the time. And, uh, like trying to like uh, shimmy over these downed logs while it's pouring like the wet the logs are so wet and slippery like you know I don't know how we didn't you know roll an ankle or twist an ankle and uh yeah that that is some tough hiking through that stuff it is so bad and I don't like I don't know how it is in other states but um most of the forests we've been in in Colorado have just been like decimated by the beetles um and some of that stuff is like nearly impenetrable. Like there's areas where it's not too bad. Um, I don't know many areas where it doesn't exist at all, but there's a couple like nice places where you only have to step over one or two trees at a time. But yeah, a lot of the places I've ended up, I'm like climbing on all fours over, you know, five trees that have all landed on top of each other. And yeah, when you've got, you know, a bunch of overnight gear on your back, once you start to fall, there's no stopping yourself. So you're just going to kind of go with it and have to tumble and hope that you don't you know, hurt yourself too badly. Uh, when you go down. Yep. Yep. I know it all too well. Um, I, I, the other thing that this conversation, uh, reminds me of is I still say to this day that, that like out of all the different styles of fishing that I've done, uh, which is a lot, uh, you know, I've done a lot of different species, uh, ocean fishing, saltwater fishing, fly fishing, 
uh, musky, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. But I still think one of my favorite ways to fish uh, is, yeah, hiking in or backpacking into a remote alpine lake nobody around there's just like a cirque of towers around you and just like uh uh walking around that lake when you get there and first scouting it out from like from the height and just seeing like a trout come out from the depths to you know snag some grasshopper or beetle on the surface you're like oh yes like game on it's just such a great feeling i think that's one of my favorite ways to fish yeah, alpine lakes are definitely up there for me for the for the same reasons you described, and especially the the terrain because like streams are you know they can be beautiful, but um, lakes almost always are surrounded by big jagged peaks. Like you don't find a lake out in the middle of a field generally if it's an alpine lake. Right. Um, you've got mountains all around, uh, and because they take some effort to get to, you're not going to see a lot of people, and if you do, they're generally cool people. Like I'll talk to them because like hey, you also you know, trudged up here, we probably have something in common um, versus seeing the crowds down off the roads. Um, I will say that they're kind of hit or miss, though, in terms of difficulty. I feel like I either show up at an alpine lake and there's fish rising everywhere. Like you'll get a bite every cast without even trying. You put on any fly. Uh, And then other times I'll go up and I feel like I throw everything in my box with every technique and I can watch fish just swim right past my fly without even looking. And it's just so frustrating. You could be up there all day and not even move a fish. So it's it's kind of hit or miss. I feel like usually I can figure it out enough to get a couple fish out of the water. But um, it's it's not the same as stream fishing where I feel like as long as you can find the pockets they're in and present something in like you know, without too much drag, you'll probably get a couple fish. Um, and I don't know what it is about those lakes that they, they're either really turned on or really turned off. And it can be really frustrating when they're turned off. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. It's the worst to... Uh... I, I, I can picture in my head multiple times a couple of my buddies in particular. They've gotten better over the years, but you know, uh, when you're the, when you're the fisherman right on the trip, and then you you hike up to a lake, and like you say, and there's fish everywhere, and you're spending all this time doing it, and they're like, dude, there's a fish right there. Like, come on, cast over there. Like, like, <laughs> like, hey, come over here. I just saw a fish. It's like, yeah, I, I saw him too. I'm trying to catch him. Okay, he's not. He's it's not working right now, guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, dude, I just saw a fish. Come on, why don't you catch it? <laughs> Yeah, it's hard because you can see them a lot of the time. Like they'll just be cruising along, and you know, if you you can stand up on boulders and look down, and you might you might be able to see like a dozen fish, and they might look like they're feeding, and they might be cruising around or something. But that doesn't mean they're going to eat what you have to offer. Totally. Yep. How about uh, species? It sounds like uh, trout is obviously at the top of the uh, the top of the list for you. Is that your favorite species to to chase, or would, is there anything else uh, on the list? I feel like trout. Uh, various subspecies of trout or species of trout are top of my list only because it's what I've got access to and I love where they live. So it's not necessarily trout themselves that I love. It's just, I like being where trout live and it's what we've, we've got a lot of in Colorado. So I end up fishing for them more than anything else. Um, but like I said, growing up, I did a lot of smallie fishing, pike, walleye, um, in some of the, the warm water rivers back East. Uh, and I don't know. I, I kind of like all species. Like I, I like fishing. Um, I don't care that much about species, but when it comes to trout uh, specifically, I do prefer like native species. I like targeting cutthroats. Um, I also like brook trout because I think they're really pretty. Um, I'm not, I don't have anything against other species of trout, but I feel like I'm not as much on like the brown trout bandwagon as a lot of um, fly fishermen. I think a lot of people put them um, kind of at the top of the list because they get so large and aggressive and i get i totally get that like i'll I'll never turn down like a massive brown trout eating a streamer um but because i tend to focus more on the kind of the whole atmosphere when i go fishing like i'm i prefer to just be out in the middle of nowhere small stream mountain mountain alpine lakes things like that i don't encounter a lot of like large predatory brown trout because it's not i'm not fishing in their environments for the most part um and because i prioritize that atmosphere over like big fish uh they just don't they don't uh, occupy as big a part of my life as I think a lot of fly fishermen, um, but nothing against them. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's not my, my jam compared to something like a, a native cutthroat. I'd, I'd rather chase those all day. I know what you mean. And yeah, it's funny uh, as a fisherman, I'm always uh, debating that more as I've gotten older and, and more, especially as I hang out with like fishier and fishier people, uh, I've gotten more away from this, but uh yeah, I always only used to want to go to like the most pristine places and like the most like picturesque where nobody else is. 
Um, and I still love to do that, obviously, anytime that I can. But I have gotten more comfortable with, like, uh, I don't know, maybe fishing around people is the right word, but just being like, like, okay, there's a dam here. Like, it's not very, it's like not the most picturesque thing, but this is where the fish are. So let's go get them, right. you know? And there's such a fine I mean, line get, with that. Don't get me wrong. I like, I like fishing and that, that I'm not so snobby that I like can't have someone in my view when I fish. It's just like when I have control over the situation, I'm going to choose to go um, to these places a lot of the time, but I still fish plenty of like tailwaters with people, you know, lined up above me and below me. Uh, I still do a decent amount of that too. Um, and like warm waters back east, it's a lot of like floating. Um, I know we talked about that a lot, like the, can the canoeing when you were on my show. Um, but I grew up with a kayak, so I was always like floating the rivers. And so you'd see like other people kayaking, canoeing, tubers, things like that. So I'm, I don't mean to make it sound like I am like too good to fish near people. Um, it's just that when I have my choice, I usually try to kind of get away from the crowds. Totally. Um, but at the end of the day, I'll, I'll take fish wherever I can find them. No, me too. But, and I would, I didn't mean to say you, but I used to be like that where I'd be like, even if it was a good area to fish, if there was someone there, I'd be like, uh, or someone in the area, I'd be like, ah, like I'm not here for that. But now I've gotten right. more into, uh, into fishing where the fish are. And sometimes people are where the fish are, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. But obviously, yeah, I'm trying to get away uh, as much as I can. Uh, how about, do you have like, a, is there a dream trip? Uh, the, the fly fishing world in particular is like loaded with all these uh, fishing destinations and like uh, uh, saltwater trips and like all these wild different species that you see on social media. A lot of them are kind of uh, far off and fanatical maybe, but uh curious if you if you had like a dream trip or anything that that piques your interest yeah for me uh the number one would be kamchatka the kamchatka peninsula in russia i'd love to go up there and chase like the native species they have plus like the big um the big rainbows up there the steel i don't know if you can fish for steelhead actually up there i know they have them but um they might be protected but yeah i mean i've just i've seen videos up there and it just looks it looks like big fish, but in the setting I want, which is exactly like what my dream is, is to be able to get out in the middle of nowhere, but also catch like trophy fish. Um, and I'd, I'd like to do some saltwater. I've never gotten saltwater fly fishing. And um, we're actually looking, we're, I'm getting married in June. So we're talking about doing a, a honeymoon trip where we can do a little bit of scuba diving and try out some saltwater fly fishing for, I don't know, maybe bonefish or something, just yeah. something kind of easy, maybe, maybe redfish. I'm not sure. Uh, so we'll see. That's, on my list and seems a little bit more doable in the, in the near future. Come talk as more of a, a lifetime goal. Totally. Yeah. That, that sounds, that sounds great. And yeah, bonefish and redfish, both good species for, uh, for trying out the salt water. Does your, uh, does your fiance fish? He does. Yeah. He's kind of gotten into it through me. Um, but I kind of drag him along on a lot of my trips and he, he's not as into it as I am, but he's happy to go. Like he, that's good. He'll fish too. And you know, he likes, he likes backpacking and hiking and stuff. So, uh, it's usually not hard to convince him to go fishing with me, but he doesn't really do much on his own. Sure. Sure. Have you been to Alaska? I haven't. It's oh, on the list. You got to get to Alaska. If you want to do Kamchatka, you got, you gotta, you gotta get to Alaska, man. It is just like, it's, it, it is Colorado on steroids. It's just so big. The water, so much water, the fish are big. It's so wild. It's, it's, yeah, you, you got to add uh, Alaska to the list for sure. The problem with Alaska is I can't decide like when I want to go and what I want to do there. Cause I want to fish Alaska. I'd also, I also think it'd be fun to hunt in Alaska. Um, and like, I, I feel like any time of year I go there, like I could ski in Alaska. There's so many things to do that I would like to do that. It's like, I feel like I'd have to go for um, either multiple trips or just stay there for like six months. <laughs> just <laughs> paralysis, to or, uh, paralysis by analysis, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it is wild. Uh, Alaska. I haven't been there in the summer, uh, in the winter yet. Uh, it's on my list for sure is to get there in the winter, but yeah, just the rawness and remoteness of it up there. Uh, is amazing. I'd, I'd love to do a hunting trip up there too. What uh, what type of hunting are you into, or or are you into hunting? Yeah, we um we do both archery and rifle, and we hunt uh, elk, deer, pronghorn, and small game for the most part. Uh, we're actually hoping to go on our first waterfowl trip this year, so we'll see how that goes. But that's been kind of like a big barrier to entry because we don't really know where to start. Um, so we've got a friend who's going to take us out, but. Uh, yeah, mostly big game and uh, small game. Not a lot of upland or anything, just because 
uh, to do that in Colorado. I feel like it's beneficial to have some private land out east, like for pheasants and stuff. Um, and we don't have that. So it's mostly like what we can do on public land in the mountains. That's awesome. And, and is that something that you've always been into as well, kind of tied in with the fishing? Or is that something that grew once you came to Colorado? Or what's, uh, what's the hunting story? Um, so I picked that up in high school back in Pennsylvania through actually my ex-boyfriend's dad. Like his son wasn't super into hunting, but I was really interested. So I would go out with his dad. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> just for, like whitetails. Uh, so I did, I did start hunting in Pennsylvania, but I do feel like moving out to Colorado, it was kind of like I had to restart because it's completely different. Right. I mean, it, growing up, it's like sit on a bucket at the base of a tree and wait and you're sitting in the snow and waiting for deer to walk past. And now it's a lot more active, like mountain hunting, um, walking around all day glassing um it just it and and the tag system is so different that you know by i had to learn all the licensing uh requirements out here versus going down to the gas station and buying a hunting license where you can now hunt everything right in pennsylvania um so that was kind of a it's like a rebirth moving out here but um yeah i've been hunting out here now for i don't know maybe five or six years and it's picked up in the past couple. Like the first, the first couple seasons were pretty dry. <laughs> I didn't get much. Um, but now we've kind of gotten in the groove a little bit, and they're having more success. Um, although we just got back from a trip this past weekend, it was uh, pretty hellish. We went out for snowshoe hares, and we went we went the same time last year, and there wasn't much snow on the ground, but they were white, so we had a heyday. <laughs> they were everywhere. And this year, we didn't think to check the snow depths, and we got up there, and there was a like a foot of snow on the ground. And we were like, well, rats, you know, they're white and so is everything else. Um, so we ended up hunting on skis, which is something we've been wanting to try out. That sounds awesome. Uh, but didn't end up having any success. Yeah, we just kind of skied around and, and di- di- looked for stuff, but didn't find anything. What is that called? Uh, di- di- diathlon? Uh, the, uh, Olymp- oh, biathlon? Biathlon, the Olympic sport where yeah. they shoot the... Uh shoot the guns <laughs> yeah <That's> <laughs> unfortunately we didn't get a chance to shoot uh, shoot our guns so we carried them around for sure <laughs> that's cool I, I like that you're into the small game what other small game uh do, do you like jason um mostly uh so we do squirrel although um i like squirrel more back east because they were bigger like gray squirrels and stuff um out here we've got fox squirrels down in the, like the river bottoms in the plains but uh the mountains are mostly pine squirrels which are just kind of small um We'll, we'll take them if we see them, but we don't tend to drive out there just to hunt pine squirrels. Um, but we like snowshoe hares. Uh, we did our first marmot hunt this year, which was nice. eye-opening yeah. and pretty fun. Yeah, a lot um, of those around, right? You know, not as many as you'd think. <laughs> I, I kind of pictured going uh, out and just being surrounded by them and realized that, you know, you see them in Rocky Mountain National Park where they come right up to you because they're getting Cheetos all the time. Right. And when you go out in the middle of nowhere looking for them, you see a lot from far away, but you realize that you don't actually get close to them very often when you're, when you're out in the, not in the national park. Yeah. So it was kind of surprisingly challenging. We, mm. you know, we saw and heard a lot, but it was hard to get within, you know, 50, 75 yards to hit them with a 22. So that was eye opening, but really, really fun. That's fun. And what, what's your favorite game uh, uh, out of all that you chase? Uh, to eat? Or to hunt, to hunt. Oh, to hunt. Man, I don't know if I could choose. We like every year we really love pronghorn. Um, but if I only hunted on the plains, I think I'd get kind of sick of it. Like it's good. It's a good once a year hunt. Um, elk is really frustrating, but the scenery is probably the best. And you know, you really get deep in the mountains. Um, honestly, I feel like small game. Like I love walking around the woods with people, being able to talk. You know, not having to get up at four right. in the morning in the dark. It's not as um, strict so and find, stringent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I find small game the most fun, but obviously you don't get as much meat. So I you know I would prioritize big game if I could only choose one because, you know, we like having meat in the freezer. But just for the act of hunting, I think small game of various types is my favorite. That's awesome. Yeah, it's something that I've always wanted to dive into, but never really have. Um, I have so many uh, big old, I don't know what kind of squirrels they are, but big old corn fed squirrels here on my uh, <laughs> On my farm, I I see them outside of my window just sitting in the tree, you know, gnawing on corn from the cornfield next door. Uh, Pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, I got all kinds of stuff around here. (laughs) So do you do any hunting? Uh, I don't. No, I I do. um, Waterfowl. Yeah, so I was out out goose hunting, um, goose and duck hunting. I was just out goose hunting last weekend. I'll probably go out again this weekend. Yeah. and that's about it. When I was in South Dakota, I did a lot of pheasant hunting as well. Um, but yeah, I'd like to get into uh, two things. I'd like to get into 
deer hunting and, you know, whitetail out here and, uh, well, three things, whitetail, coyote hunting, and, uh, I'd like to get into fur trapping too. Um, I think that's something that's always kind of piqued my interest. I have a cousin who does it around here and has like, you know, traps, all kind of wild species. And, uh, I have, uh, I live on a farm, so I got, I know there's a little Creek that runs through the farm. So, uh, I know there's all kinds of stuff around and, uh, that's something that's always really piqued my interest too. So I think I want to, uh, get into that, um, little, uh, I don't know if I want to say less entry to barrier to entry, but, uh, the deer hunting here in Illinois, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, you have to have it for a certain County. So you have to know what County you're hunting in. You have to know, uh, like the windows are pretty small. It's only like two weekends for, uh, for shotgun season, no rifles here. Um, so I'd like to do it, but haven't, but the, the trapping thing kind of interests me to tell you the truth. Wait, you don't have a rifle season for deer? No, it's illegal. Uh, yeah. To hunt deer by rifle here in Illinois, you have to use a shotgun with a slug. I had no idea. I knew that you could use that in a lot of places. I didn't know that there were, I, I kind of assumed there was a rifle season for deer in every state. Yep. Yep. And by the way, yeah, there's a little pheasant there. Uh, 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 funny, oh, it, yeah. funny pheasant mount. A, f- a buddy of mine who was a taxidermist in, uh, in South Dakota when I was living there made that for me. I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, Is that like a pheasant shoulder mount? Yeah, exactly. A pheasant <laughs> shoulder mount. I've never o- seen that. Yeah. Only one I've ever seen too. It was hilarious. He gave it to me, uh, I had it in my office, uh, and I worked in radio when I was in South Dakota. I had it in my radio office there, and then I uh, I brought it, brought it with me back. It's pretty funny. But fe- <laughs> pheasant hunting is a blast too. Like you said, kind of like a, that similar small game uh, atmosphere where it's uh, you know the stakes are a little less. Like you're walking with your buddies, flushing birds up. Uh, I, I really enjoyed doing that too. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd like small game hunting by myself, too. I mean, I have done it by myself, and I enjoy it. But there, I really like the social aspect, and I like not having to be silent. Um, it's just more of, like, a fun group activity. And like you said, the stakes are lower. Like, if you if you miss something, it's like, well, we'll see another one. You know, that's that's okay. Whereas if you miss a deer, you're, like, heartbroken because you might have been waiting there for days for one to come past, and then, uh, you know, you blow it. So, yeah, it's. I don't know if you can see behind me. I've got a, a grouse fan on the wall, oh, too. Oh, yeah, I not, see that. Not as close as your shoulder mount. But yeah. I would have guessed that's a turkey, so that's a grouse. Yeah, uh, you probably can't tell uh, scale. I've got a turkey yeah. fan out in the uh, <laughs> a little bigger out in like our entry room, but yeah. uh, it wouldn't fit on this wall. That's awesome. So your parents uh, or or your folks uh, were not hunters or anglers. No, my dad did a little bit of fishing, um, kind of before I got into it. Like he would go up for an annual trip with his brothers to Canada, and they would. Uh, kind of camp out and fish, but I think fishing was more of a way to feed themselves while they were out there. It was more about camping and canoeing around the lakes, um, and they'd happen to fish while they're out. But and he would take me, like he we would go out boating together. He he enjoyed like floating down the yeah. river, so he would float with me and I'd fish. But he wouldn't fish like while he was with me. He was just there to be in the boat. Um, but no, he wasn't a hunter, and my mom didn't hunt or fish. So no, it was just something that I was interested in i guess but i'm interested in your the fur trapping that you mentioned because i that's something i would also be interested in picking up but you know not living in the mountains i'm pretty sure there's some laws around how often you have to check your traps and so i don't think it's really feasible to like set traps in the mountains and live hours away from that and have to check them like every so often um so i'm kind of jealous about you being able to maybe pick that up on your own land because I, I would be interested in that. We've I've been tanning the uh, the snowshoe hair pelts we get, and I hope to make some some things out of them. I don't know hats or something. That's awesome. Uh, I think it'd be really cool to get into that with like other types of fur. Totally. That's that's the main reason. Well, not the main reason, but one of the bit reasons I want to do it. Like I think it'd be awesome to make some uh, like some mitten trims or uh, you know uh, uh, trim for my work jackets mm-hmm. uh, uh, on the hood or something. Um, yeah, I think that'd be awesome. How has that process been going? Is that something that you've done before or you're just trying to, trying to learn or you've done it a bunch? Um, I would say a little bit of both. I'm trying to learn, but it worked the first time I did it. So, uh, <laughs> nice. you know, it's, it's, it's working, but, uh, I'm sure there's like more things I can learn to make them better. You know, some, some turn out better than others. Uh, I can probably get much better at skinning them to get like a good quality pelt. I end up with a lot of kind of raggedy edge you know, I need to trim some off to make sure. it a decent shape. Um, so I'll definitely get better at that. And I'm, I appear to only be good at doing it with 
animals that are not fatty because i i followed a process i found online for the the hairs i mean i found someone who has like a rabbit farm and followed that process and it worked great for the hairs but then i tried to do it on the marmots and they were so fatty that uh it turned into like a it was just disgusting <laughs> i don't know how else to describe it like the, i'll take your word. everything was so greasy <laughs> so yeah not i i can do it specifically on uh like non-fatty rabbit-like animals that's cool um, that's funny but i hope to move up in the world at some point and be right able to, you know other, hey, other animals as you're, well you're, you're ahead of me that sounds cool too because uh yeah those, those snowshoe hairs that that white fur is so pretty it is it's, it's beautiful um i found a like a pattern online where you can make a hat that's you know one type of fur on the outside one type of fur on the inside and i think it'd be cool to get enough um hairs and squirrels to do like a hair on the outside squirrel on the inside for a hat, but the squirrels are so small that it's going to take a lot of squirrels for me to get to that point. <laughs> so I think, I think, I think I'm still a couple awesome. years out. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Are you familiar with the uh, uh, squirrel tail? Uh, I believe it's Meps who does it. Um, they have a. Uh, you're familiar with that, where you can send in your squirrel tails for uh, for lure makers. I I am vaguely familiar with it. I've never done it, um, yeah. but I I know the spinners you're talking about, and I think I knew that you could send in your squirrels. But I guess I it was it was a memory I forgot I had. I read about <laughs> read about it somewhere, but and, I forgot about it until you mentioned it. it yeah, it might be one of those like legend things. But I think I looked it up at one time. And, and for those listening who doesn't make sense to you, uh, uh, Meps spinners. Uh, it's a uh, fishing lure. Uh, they put little rooster tails on all of their uh, lures, and I believe they're made out of squirrel tail, or a lot of them are made out of squir squirrel tail fur. So they are big buyers of uh, squirrel tails. So they, I forget what the deal is. I want to say it's either, it's probably something lame, like a discount on MEP spinners, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I do know they buy them, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I think I read that in maybe like a Field and Stream magazine or something, and I don't know if it was... I mean, I, I don't know if it was a historical thing, you know, if they still do it. Right. But I, I may have read like an old copy too, but I do remember reading something about them making them out of squirrel tails. Yeah. Um, one, one story here and then we'll kind of start to wind her down. But uh, I think something you'll appreciate is when uh, we, we talked about my trip on the Yukon River uh, on your podcast uh, when we were talked yesterday. Um, so 70 days across Alaska through the interior of Alaska and uh, we ended up in the Bering Sea. So where the Yukon River pours into the Bering Sea was our final day, 70 days after we started. And uh, the river is, there's a little village that we were flying out of called uh, Imanic, Alaska. And it's a little uh, salmon canning village, actually. They have a salmon plant there uh, where they commercially fish salmon. Um, and anyway, the river is like 20 miles, uh, maybe 15 miles past, uh, past Imanic, where it actually dumps into the Bering Sea and touches salt water. Um, so we, we came into Imanic and we arranged with a guy who actually was the mayor of Imanic, funny enough, um, to pick us up uh, by boat like the next afternoon out at the out at the ocean and then rather than paddle uh, paddle upstream against the current back to Imanic, he was gonna shuttle us in his boat uh, back into town and we gave him I don't know what it was 50 bucks or 100 bucks or something to shuttle us back and uh, great guy had had fun fun time with him out there and uh, we were like celebrating with him and and uh, he was telling us a bunch of stories and when we got back, he brought us to his house. Um, and his house is like, uh, you know, sh shack is not uh, the right word because it's much nicer than a shack, but it, it's not the same thing you would think of, uh, at driving down the road in, in your Colorado neighborhood. Um, it, and anyway, he, he welcomes us in and he gives both my buddy and I a, uh, a piece of tanned, uh, seal hide. Um, and so it's like as a, as a gift, he gave it to us. And so I have a piece of, uh, seal fur. It's like, I don't know, probably this big, it's a pretty big piece and uh, it's awesome. Super smooth and just looks really beautiful, intricate with like silver and like little, uh, black dots on it. And I was asking him cause he had all kinds of fur. One of the cool things that, uh, I found out, uh, they would use fur for all kinds of stuff, trim, uh, they use like caribou and wolf fur for uh, like a, a sleeping pad rather than like a thermorest. They just lay down the fur and then use that to sleep on top of when they were camping. Um, 
But anyway, the seal hide. So he gives it to me, and I look at it. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm looking at it, and I notice that there's two little holes in it. Um, one of them is like a small kind of circular hole, and one of them is uh, kind of at an angle. And I'm looking at it, and I asked him, I'm like, oh, what, what's going on here? Like, is was this uh, you know, a mess up in the tanning process or something? And he's like, oh, no. He's like, that's where they shot him, and that's where they speared him. <laughs> just still two holes in, in the in the fur from the perfect uh, circular one was from where they shot him, and then they sp- the one at the angle was where they speared it. Pretty wild. So have you done anything or have plans to do anything with the seal hide, or is it just more of like a decorative, um, like a cool thing to, to have? Yeah, it's a decorative piece. It's um, it's bad. It's been, uh, sadly, it's been in my basement, but hopefully uh, this conversation maybe it needs to be hanging in this in this office. I've, well, I've always like kind of had in my head, like, uh, you know how they tan the beaver hides with like the uh, stretched out and just kind of looks like a like old historical way. I want to do something like that, but obviously that's not like fitting for seal, but I don't know. I want to either frame it or like, like do something, but I don't exactly know what I want to hang it on the wall basically is what I want to do, but I don't know how to, uh, how to do it really. I've, I've gone to some like custom framers and the prices they've given me, it's like, no way. (laughs) I don't know what it is about frames, but I feel like anytime we get any sort of piece of art, the, the frame is the limiting factor in terms of cost. It's like ridiculous. We can buy the, the prints, but yeah. man, frames cost so much money. No, no, it's insane. Yeah, I was surprised too. <laughs> I was like, ah, this wouldn't be a big deal. And then I was like, oh, this was like a, a huge sale. And I was like, uh, yeah, okay, I'm, I definitely am not doing that. I'll, I'll go another route. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Katie, it's, it's been a blast. Uh, it's been a blast chatting with you and swapping some stories and, and sharing uh, some fishing lore. Uh, Anything else? Uh, any final thoughts before we wind her down? Uh, no, just thank you for having me on. Um, like we talked about at the beginning, I feel like I make such great connections, just cold calling, or not cold calling, but cold reaching out to people, just saying like, hey, do you want And uh, it's crazy how you know, people are willing to talk to you for an hour if you just ask. And that's all it takes to kind of feel like you get to know somebody. And I got to talk to you twice, which is great. Um, like I said, being on the side of the mic is, is kind of a fun experience for me. So I just thank you for, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for reaching out. It was, it was great to connect and uh, remind me again uh, and, and remind folks uh, the best way to tune into your podcast uh, uh, and to kind of uh, find you and, and you know subscribe to what you got going on. Sure. So it's um, just called Fish Untamed. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. Um, uh, website is fishuntamed.com. Um, there's some like legacy blog posts on there as well as uh, all the podcast episodes you could listen to on there. Um, there's also a contact form for anyone wants to reach out um, or just fishuntamed at gmail.com um, if you don't feel like going through the contact form. Um, and then I'm on Instagram at fishuntamed. It's really the only social media I use. Um, and I mostly use it for podcast promotion. I occasionally post some personal stuff on there. Um, if you know, if I take a trip or something, maybe I'll share a photo. But for the most part, it's uh, just podcast promotion. But um, folks can also message me on there uh, if that's preferable to email, since it's usually a little bit faster um, for me to get the messages there. Um, but yeah, that's about it. That's really the only place I'm active. Um, so yeah, either email on the website or uh, on Instagram. Okay, awesome. Fish Untamed. Katie, take it easy. Uh, great chatting with you and uh, tight lines. All right, you too. Well, thank you. All right, that's a wrap. Uh, Thank you all for listening. If you want to find all the other episodes as well as show notes, you can find those on fishuntamed.com. You'll also find a contact link there if you want to reach out to me. And you can also find me on Instagram at fishuntamed. Uh, If you want to support the show, you can give it a follow on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. And if you'd like to leave a review, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, But otherwise, thank you all again for listening. I'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. Take care, everybody.